Hi, and welcome to the first ever episode of Sparks of Madness. I'm Graham Rayner, and I'll be your host every week. Um, and I am uh, a stand-up comedian from the north of England, part-time stand-up. Um, so I have a day job, and I gig regularly in the evenings, um, although not at the moment because I'm recording this smack in the middle of the uh, lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic. Our first guest is one of my very best friends in the comedy industry, uh, a musical comedian, Mr Keith Wilde. I first met Keith uh, just over a year ago, um, back in uh, 2019 in Keithley in West Yorkshire, at a gig that we were both doing, and we became firm friends and uh, regularly now discuss things outside of comedy, uh, particularly our mental health. Um, He's one of the funniest acts I know. He's someone that I regularly book when I'm running gigs, purely out of selfish reasons because he makes me howl with laughter um, and uh, just to be warned this uh, the podcast episode you're about to hear does touch on issues including drug use um, self-harm and suicide and obviously things like depression and anxiety and there is um, pretty foul language throughout mainly from Keith um, although occasionally from me so sit back enjoy listen and uh, I hope you enjoy the first ever episode of Sparks of Madness thank you okay so um, I'm really pleased that, uh, for our first episode of Sparks of Madness to invite on my good friend and, and uh, comedy buddy Mr Keith Wilde welcome Keith how are you doing all right. Hello. Uh, death to the West. How are we doing? <laughs> um, so um, at the time of recording, we are, what is it, about five weeks in, six weeks into lockdown, uh, back end of April 2020, um, into the COVID-19 lockdown, um, and everyone's going a bit stir crazy. Um, so your last gig, Keith, would have been about the same time as mine, I think, in mid-March, was it? Yeah, yeah. Hey, how are you missing it? Are you getting on all right? Oh, oh God. It's just fucking boring, isn't it? Like, fucking nothing going on. Uh, no gigs. Uh, ran out of weed. Can't get any more. Um, it's fucking ridiculous. Like, they need to do something about it. Um, why? It's daft, isn't it? Just daft. Yeah. But we're surviving. That's the main thing. Um, um, so, um, no weed. Is that your biggest problem? Pretty much. That and no gigging. <laughs> No, no gigging. Okay. Yeah, so, like, uh, how do you how do you have a personality without either of those things? Like, it's just what is there to do? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I echo that sentiment. Although I have got a wife and kids at home, so I'm occupied most of the time. But I know exactly what you mean. Um, so for those people who are listening who don't know who you are, um, you are um uh, one of those subsets of comedians who is known as a musical comedian. Um, you're not like me who just gets up and talks shite. You've actually got to put some effort in and write stuff properly in advance. Um, how did you get started in comedy? Um, I was about fucking, I was like 16. Um, I'm 24 now. So in like 2012, late 2012, I was, uh, fucking, (laughs) I, uh, joined a band and like did a gig and we were like kind of being funny as well. And I always liked, um, I liked, you know, like Ed Sheeran and the Beatles and Elvis and stuff, but then I liked Stephen Lynch and Rodney Carrington and Tim Minchin. So I always, bit Lucy Spraggan, I always had like that kind of, Loudon Wainwright, always had that kind of thing about me. Uh, and eventually I just, like, I was on the music scene because there wasn't much comedy in Wakefield at the time. Um, now there's many nights in Wakefield, as you know. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I just sucked dick. Yeah, couldn't couldn't sing, couldn't play guitar that well, and uh, was a little bit funny. And eventually, I just kind of <laughs> got good at all three, just by relentlessly gigging. And you are certainly of the sort of level that that we're at in the comedy industry. You're one of the harder working um, acts I know in that you're when the comedy industry is actually up and running like it isn't at the moment. You're out most nights gigging, aren't you? You tend to gig five or six nights a week, don't you? Uh, I, I try to do as many as possible. I've probably done like four minimum since I can remember. Uh, yeah. Usually a lot more. Uh, in the summer especially, I'll do like a daytime like covers gig in a beer garden and then I'll go do a double like in Manchester or something or Hull or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so you might you might even get three gigs in a day if you're lucky. Yeah, yeah. I just love it, man. I love doing sets. Uh, there's nothing that can... Uh, there's no shortcut to it to get to the standard you need to be at. So just gig constantly and write a lot. Hmm. Hmm. And so what's... um. What's been nice since I met you? I think I met you, it was about a year ago, um, at a gig in Keithley, a pub in Keithley, the Marquis of Granby, the pub. Um, and I'd, I'd heard about you um, from a few people that I was friends with on Facebook or whatever, and, and I'd seen that you were on the bill, and I was quite quite kind of excited to see you, because with me running a few low-level low local gigs, I was always looking for someone different anyway. And I remember meeting you, and I just thought, it doesn't look like a rock star. It looks like a rock star who hasn't eaten for a couple of months. <laughs> um, um, and then, but you were like really backstage. You were really kind of quiet and, uh, and unassuming and stuff. You didn't seem to want to kind of. Um, you weren't a lot of acts backstage are really quiet, and then you get other people who are probably a bit more like me who are kind of up for it and trying to feed off the acts to get the energy to go out on stage. Yeah. Um, and I, I was quite surprised at how quiet you were compared to your on stage persona. Um, because once you get going on stage, you're kind of full on, aren't you? Yeah, I like to. Um, I like to kind of. I'm pretty chill because uh, when I'm on, when I get in front of the microphone, I'm kind of all guns blazing. You know, I kind of turn the turn the volume up to eleven. Mm. Um, but yeah, backstage you kind of got to preserve that energy. Uh, and I think just doing it a long time as well, you can kind of like if you do it a lot, because when you start, like you're always really buzzing and shit. Mm. Um, like you're fucking, you, you know, you're excited. Like you've not done it much. You've got a boner. Like it's all mint. And then, <laughs> like eventually, it's just you know, you're just in the back with like a, a quarter chub, just chilling. <laughs> Very good. Um, so going back then, because you started out, like you say, doing covers and, and stuff like that. When was your, when was your first gig that you would call a comedy gig? What was that like, and where was it? Um, probably my first, like my second or third gig, I was like doing, I was getting laughs, like big laughs. Um, and yeah, I just didn't have enough material. So I'd do like, do like a funny song and then I'd run out. So I'd just do covers and then obviously like for money, um, to make money doing music, you kind of got to do the weekend covers gigs a lot. So I would do like a Friday, Saturday, like I had residencies and stuff and played in restaurants and bars, uh, like in a covers duo, uh, you know, singing Ed Sheeran songs and shit like that. Uh, but then in the week, I'd just hit all the open mic nights and just try and build up this comedy repertoire. And then after about six years, I had like a solid hour that was 
you know, it was killing and it was doing well. Um, and I thought I probably need to film this and I probably need to start talking in between songs because on the music scene, like, people aren't really listening. Like, you kind of mm. do background noise. So yeah. I just never talked in between. And then in about, like, 2018, I made, like, a conscious effort to just have jokes in between and stuff to, like, make it flow better. And then eventually I had an hour. And uh, I was ready to record it, but uh, now we're just waiting for society to come back so I can do that. Hmm. Um, and obviously this podcast is about that sort of weird um, perception that a lot of comedians have um, some sort of mental health issues either in their past or, or ongoing. You're no different from that. You're That's one of the reasons why I picked you for the first guest is we've talked each together about our sort of respective issues so tell us about your your mental health situation what's your what's your diagnosis uh i have as far as now i have depression and anxiety uh i started like feeling proper weird when i was like 12 i was like oh i want to kill myself like just constantly like mm. all the time and i didn't fit in and it was it's was horrible and then you know when i was 16 when i started gigging like I felt a lot better when I was on stage. And then when I was like 20, because uh, I was in bands and stuff, so I was doing coke a lot. And mm. it kind of like, I always had that kind of constant like depression, like, and just fucking, I couldn't like go out and speak to people without having like a bunch of drinks first. And then uh, eventually when I was like 20, uh, all that kind of like sent me to a point uh, where I thought I should probably tell someone before I do something. Right, and that's and that, and then you went, that's when you went and got help. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I tried like all different tablets, and uh, I'm on Venlafaxine. That's the one I'm on at the moment. Uh, and you know, I got put on like waiting lists for counselling, uh, but they take a long time. So uh, you know, just waiting around. Yeah. So have you had any any uh, counselling yet? I've had like short, like six week stints and stuff. Um, but eventually, like, because I was just getting past, like, from doctor to doctor, um, I just eventually decided, oh, I'm just going to, you know, stick with, like, some weed and tablets. And then, like, if I ever have enough money, because the only way to kind of get, like, adequate counselling, because uh, we've got the NHS and that, um, it obviously takes a long time. Uh, but to get adequate counselling, if you've got a shitload of money, you can kind of fast track that. So I'm mm. just kind of holding out for if I get a big payout. So you found your own coping mechanisms in the meantime, yeah. basically, and that is gigging, some some low level uh, narcotic abuse, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the support of mates, which is something else I wanted to talk about because we've kind of, <coughs> excuse me, we've kind of become a there's four or five of us in like a little regular Facebook chat, that's, and we've particularly during this lockdown we've kind of become our own little support network um how important do you think that sort of stuff is uh very i think um you know if you're feeling like proper down and shit you want you want someone to be able to go oh dude i'm I proper don't feel right today like can we just fucking have a chat and have a giggle and shit uh call each other jews and stuff like <laughs> it'll cheer us up you know what i mean yeah <laughs> i'm not sure about the relevance of that bit but um <laughs> 
Fucking hell. Might edit that. Um, <laughs> um, Give me a pussy, leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what she said. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, there's like four or five of us on that chat. And I think it's fair to say we've all got our own issues in some way, but we're all also at different levels of the comedy industry. Um, and I think that, to me, that's helped as well. It's helped me just navigate kind of the the feelings you get sometimes after a gig or before a gig um, to make sure that it's normal, um, which sounds daft because it, there's nothing normal about going on stage and grabbing a microphone and trying to make people laugh. It, it, for me, it's, it, when you actually try and rationalise it, it's a ridiculous way to make a living or yeah, try and make very, a living. Um, it's a very unique, uh, <laughs> like, it's a very unique career choice. Mm. The, the ups and downs are very specific to comedy. Like, this, this You think they're different from when you're in music? There's similarities for sure, uh, but there's just like I've tried to explain it to like some musician mates before. There's nothing uh, that can quite compare to like proper dying on your ass trying to make people laugh. Mm. Like, I suppose if you if you're doing music, if you go out and deliver your set to the to the same standard, you're very like that you're used to your highest standard. You're very rarely gonna um, be in a situation where you feel like you're getting nothing back and you feel completely at sea or whatever, lost on that stage. Whereas you can kind of, um, you can bomb in secret, I guess is the way it's like you can go on stage as a musician and do your set. And obviously you're hitting all the notes and you're doing all the guitar notes and shit like, and you're singing and you're hitting all that and, uh, you're doing it exactly the same, uh, just maybe a bit less energy. But um, people will still come up to you afterwards and go, oh, that was really good. Yeah. Like, whereas in comedy, like, uh, people thinking you're a good comedian is highly dependent on a room full of people laughing. Yeah. Yeah, and you and like you're talking about you doing two or three gigs in a day. If you go out and do a double, you could do the same set pretty much the same way twice and get fundamentally different reactions in, in because it's a different room, it's a different time of day or whatever whatever that kind of alchemy is that makes comedy great. Um, you know, you could go out and smash your first gig and, and absolutely be flying, get to your second gig, and then you could be, the the come down can be so rapid that it can be quite, I wouldn't say dangerous, but it's certainly profound that it can really not affect you, I suppose. But um, what's been your worst, have you, have you got a death that springs to mind? Have you bombed once that you thought, I never want to be there again? Um, I did the Stockton gong a while ago. Done mm. it twice, been gong twice. Both were horrendous. Um, and you're like, you've won the King Gong at the Comedy Store in Manchester, so you're not a stranger to gong shows or success at them. So yeah. how did that feel? It was weird because uh, the first time I did it, I'd already won a gong at the Comedy Lounge in Hull. Mm. Uh, and that was my first gong, and I won that, just absolutely fucking breezed it. And... Uh, I kind of walked into the Stockton one like, yeah, I'm fucking great, me. And then fucking got gonged. And then I wrote, I was so gutted by it. Like I wrote a new five and that started killing. And then I won King Gong with that. And then I did the Stockton Gong again and got gonged again. And I was like, oh, fuck, what? Like, <laughs> it was just fucking brutal. Um, it's just T-siders. They don't like you. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, they're not big on That's what it is. I think, so just for those listening who don't know the comedy industry from the inside or aren't familiar with it, a gong show is kind of competitive comedy of, of arguably the most ruthless, most ruthless kind. So you go on stage and normally you get either five or your target is to last either five or seven minutes. Um, 
and the audience there'll be few people within the audience who get the ability to vote you off so sometimes you'll get three cards or five cards handed out and if if the right number of or the wrong number of cards go up that's it you're done you could just be building up to your your really strong set piece material or your your best punchline or whatever and suddenly the cards will go up and you're that's it you're done i've seen a, a friend of ours actually a mutual friend of ours drove all the way over to that gong in stockton um it took him not, i think about an hour and a half to get there and he was gonged off in inside a minute, um, yeah, which is just soul destroying. For like six hours to do that gong, like, yeah. Because if you, I suppose the thing about it being so ruthless, is if you win it, <laughs> then it's on your CV, isn't it? You've won like arguably the most most ruthless gong in the north. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's harsh, man. Especially, and I, and I suppose that sums up what I was talking about. Of you know, you've done like you say, you worked on that perfect five minute set that won you. Um, King Gong in Manchester at the Comedy Store, which is one of the, you know, the biggest, most established comedy clubs in the north, and <laughs> and then you do the same set somewhere else, and that's it. They don't want to sit. They don't want it. They don't want to know. And that's that's emotionally puzzling and difficult to take, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? It's very confusing. Like, yeah, it's weird. Like, you can absolutely murder with something, and then you'll do it at a Gong, and it won't do well, and you're like, oh shit. But it's kind of like it's one of them. Like, they're there to fucking. <laughs> like you'll hear them like if you go out to the bar or something you'll hear them like oh i can't wait to fucking crush some dreams tonight like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, excited about it so yeah. uh, it's kind of you just gotta not take it personally and uh you know you just keep doing it every night and if you keep trying uh eventually like apart from a very very select few people um if you keep doing it and keep working at it you'll get really good yeah yeah, I think it's one of those things that 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 um, putting in the effort and then reflecting on it and learning from it should you should incrementally improve all the time. Not everyone's going to end up filling stadiums, but most people should get at least the quality of their work up there. I think there's a whole load of factors that go into people getting kind of um, rich or famous or any of that shit off of comedy. But to be able to make a decent a living, which I think you and I both aspire to do long term. Um, it's that that thing of hard graft and self awareness and and some natural ability should be the three main things that get you there. I think. Um, yeah, you kind of got to put that effort in that you would in like a normal job. Like if you wanted to be a CEO or something. Yeah. Kind of put got to put that level of effort in. But um, like if you've chosen, but because I've chosen this as a career choice, like the actual process is fun. Yeah, you actually enjoy the journey. It's not doesn't feel like backbreaking work on the way there. Yeah, because I've done like academic stuff and like I don't like that. And then I've had like normal jobs and they're just so boring. And mm. I've even tried acting, but like acting, because um, because when you're a musician, like learning the guitar, once you get past a certain point, it's enjoyable. Yeah. Once like your fingers get used to it, or when you're doing stand up, once you've done like that hundred fifty gigs. Like it kind of becomes a bit of a breeze more. Like you kind of enjoy the creative aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but acting, you've got to learn the lines, which is dull, but you've got to do the dull bit every single time you do a new project. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's just tedious. Um, but yeah, uh, comedy and music, I, uh, I just really enjoy the process, man. Um, which is sometimes when you talk about people having mental health issues, it, it can be a little bit, um, doesn't quite fit because for some people, I think when you look at it from the outside in, 
because one of the things I struggle with when I would because I have depression and anxiety as well. Um, one of the things I've struggled with is there's a couple of things that you need for for kind of the creative process that don't necessarily lend themselves to having mental health issues. That's focus and that's kind of the energy to to create. So I find it really easy um, to go out and gig. What I don't find easy is the time in between um, and the the process of trying to create new stuff or if I've not got a, a specific kind of deadline or target or project that I'm working on within that I can't be fucking bothered I don't have that motivation I find it really difficult so do do you find that because you're writing music maybe that that's a bit different for you Uh, in what sense so so I like I say I struggle with um focus for I mean a a lot of comedians say they struggle with the writing process but I think that potentially part of my issues is that thing of finding the time finding the focus being able to focus on it and see an end goal um because it's just a bit for me it's just like a gag or a whatever so i might come up with a gag but i won't necessarily sit and craft it but i've heard you talking about with your songs that you'll write them and then you'll revisit them and you try and increase the gag rate so you get a laugh every two or three lines and all that do you think that that sort of the mechanics of songwriting are a bit more easy to manage with a mental health condition um a little bit it's kind of like um because obviously the hard bit is uh, the funny part, like the word mm. bit, like the music bit, like you can come up with a song, like you can pull a song out of your ass, like it's not, it's not tricky, like I'm not fucking like trying to be uh, <laughs> fucking queen or whatever, like mm. create incredibly original fucking music and that, obviously I want to be musically proficient and uh, uh, try and be original, uh, but you know, the gag rate is kind of the important bit. Um so you've got. I've kind of got to work on it. As I will, I think I'm a better writer since I started on the comedy scene like two years ago. Cause, uh, yeah, I voice memo sets and I listen back to it, and I change it. You know, I rewrite depending on the laugh and how big the laugh is as well. Mm. So it's the regularity of the laughs, and then if the laugh's not big enough, I'll rewrite it as well. So you're quite analytical of your own work. Yeah, but the music yeah. stays the same. Like that's the that's the initial bit, and then the rest just kind of happens naturally. If you voice memo, you set and listen back to it, you kind of come up with that shit. Mm. So, in terms of um, depression and anxiety, do you think there's any way that it helps you um, be funny or or helps you in in the industry? Yeah, because it's kind of like, it's an insane, like, obviously my brain's all over the place. Uh, so I can kind of like look at things in like a different way to most people. So I'll, I'll pick up on stuff that most people wouldn't. Um, obviously, normally I don't notice anything, like in terms of normal things. But like, in terms of like quirky things, I'll just listen to all, I'll come up with all that shit. Like, my head's all over the place. I'll just pick out random daft shit, like... Oh, uh, and I've kind of got the openness and that kind of don't give a fuck thing where I can kind of go on and sing about pubes or bumming or whatever like I don't <laughs> mind doing that but like most people wouldn't be able to go on stage and sing a song about a dick or whatever so you've got that um, kind of fuck it factor you don't you don't care about yeah. so you're, you're less filtered than you might be 
if he didn't have that con- those conditions. I think I totally understand that actually. Um, and I, uh, what's what's weird is that um, starting comedy or doing comedy I mean, it's coming, up, coming up two years now, I suppose, um, has given me an outlet for those little kind of outbursts of the things that in normal conversations might be a bit more unsayable. Um, so I think you kind of because if you go on stage with a microphone and you know you joke about something that might be horrific and and you know we've all in certainly in our group we've all got quite dark sensitive humor um you've got a license to do it whereas if you just drop it into conversation with friends and family sometimes they might it might be more shocking to them because of the context so yeah i think i, I totally understand what you mean my filtering um, i've never had a filter particularly um, and anyone who knows me personally outside of comedy will know that but i think um that is part of my down to my, my mental health makeup, I think partly is that I'm always looking for something that's stimulating or amusing or whatever to say or do. Um, that thing about being the class clown or whatever, or always the clown in your group of friends or whatever. Are you like that? Are you, when you're out with your mates, are you always the funny one or are you always one of the funny ones? Um, I was like before I started comedy, and now it's like <laughs> you go out with your mates and you're like, oh, I fucking can't be asked. Because like, <laughs> it's your job, like, so I'm trying to be funny non-stop, like, professionally. Like, when I'm at one of my mates, I'm pretty quiet. Like, I'll just fucking chill and then I'll just ask them how the day is and they'll answer questions. But, like, yeah, normally, like, in school and stuff, like, I was always, like, I was, like, getting in trouble saying shit, like, I shouldn't be saying and, like, fucking, like, just when you're, when you're, <laughs> when you're in, like, a normal fucking... From when you're at school, like all the way to like applying for universities and colleges and nine to five jobs and stuff like that, it's all like, like it's all like being around your family. It's kind of like, it's like you're being on. It's like you're on this morning twenty four seven. Like you've fucking oh you can't fucking swear you can't say queef you can't fucking talk about <laughs> you, you can't <laughs> yeah 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 uh, fucking. Offer to finger someone's bum all in a joking manner, like it's just fucking, like it's boring. Like you can't do that kind of shit. Whereas uh, on stage yeah, you've got a carte blanche within reason, haven't you? Uh, as long as you're not like a politically a bit of a cunt, um, then you can, you can kind of get away with with most things. I mean, we've heard and seen some stuff said on stage or in comedy <laughs> lounges or whatever that you would never hear normally in normal conversation. I think, and um, I think it's. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting to me what those social boundaries are that, you know, so being from Dewsbury, I can talk about Shannon Matthews and Karen Matthews on stage and get a laugh. But if I talk about it in the same way in Dewsbury among among sort of people I know, the, the whole mood is very different. And I think that's it, it's difficult when you're on a high after a gig sometimes to snap back to those social conventions, I think. Um, there's been times when I've been gigging and then I've and maybe gone out afterwards with mates or whatever, or or the next day with mates who weren't at the gig, and I'm still partly in that that kind of on that crest of a wave from a gig, and you say shit and people just look at you, <laughs> and you think if I'd said that last night, I'd have, that'd have been a killer, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, in terms of um, how it doesn't help, then does do, do you feel like having any mental health conditions that you've got, having the mental health conditions you've got, do they affect your do you think you'd be further along in comedy if you didn't have them or do you think they stop slow you down at all or, or any of that 
Uh, I think I wouldn't be in comedy at all. Uh, like, I wouldn't be doing the job. I'd have kind of settled. Like, most people, like, where I'm from, especially in Wakefield, it's kind of a small town, uh, and the school I was at, they kind of encourage you, like, just right out the gate, like, do something safe, do something, like, you know, just earn your money and, you know, you'll do a night boring job for fucking 40 years and then on a Friday, Saturday, you can go uptown and then have a glass of wine or a beer or whatever. And then fucking when you're 65, you can chill out and then maybe go on a cruise or some shit. Like, but like, why the fuck like, would you want to do that boring shit? Like I kind of, I was watching like South Park when I was like 11, you know what Mm. I mean? So like, I was already like kind of above all that kind of shit, all that normal stuff. Right. Um, and a blaze through like you know how you've got like your introductory comedy so you've got like um, like there's some stuff that I guess some people think it's hack but it's like it's kind of in between hack and like amazing comedy it's kind of like you know like your Peter Kay or you you know watching an episode of Friends or yeah men that kind of stuff so it like kind of sets the parameters of what the normal comedy thing is of what normal comedy is like so when you're young you can kind of watch that as an introduction to get the grasp of comedy. But then, like, obviously I moved on to, like, South Park and uh, your fucking proper shit, like, watching stand-ups and that. Mm. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, actually, because it's funny, actually, we were talking the other night on a Facebook chat and you were slagging off the Vicar of Dibley, the TV show, because yeah. you, you, you saw that and you hated it. And I was like, no, but you have to understand, back at the time when that was on telly and there were four or five channels and uh, maybe four channels that it wasn't cutting edge it wasn't risky but it was seen as of a decent standard and and you know it's it's something that because i'm i'm significantly older than you i'm 42 you're you're what 22 24 24 um and like people of my generation some people of my generation will look back at those kind of shows with a fondness that now would be like you lot would look at and go what the fuck you know um we can agree it's not as it's nowhere near the the shiteness of something like Mrs. Brown's Boys, but no. like it to you it just it seems like twee and safe and chintzy or whatever. Um, but at the time it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't yeah, cutting edge. Like it was all right. Six pm or something. Yeah, well, it was on like I think it was on about half eight or something like that. But it was like there, there wasn't a wealth of choice then for comedy. And so, like you're talking about the sort of stuff you cut your teeth on, and for me it was like. You know, I remember growing up watching the, the stuff that was edgy when I was a kid. I would now look at and think was awful. Like uh, my brother used to like Hale and Pace, right? And I used to watch it, it was a sketch show called Hale and Pace, and actually it was quite vulgar, quite crass, and it wasn't hugely clever. Uh, but at the time, I thought it was cutting edge. I used to watch Jim Davidson videos, and now I think he's like absolute pond life. I don't know who any of these people are. You don't even know who Jim Davidson is. This is amazing to me, right? Um, but I used to watch things like that and think they were they were edgy, they were funny or whatever. And now I look back and I just think, what the fuck? But for me, the the real thing was um, Billy Connolly. I watched Billy Connolly a lot as a kid because he was we're a Scottish family, so he was kind of like our icon. We virtually had a picture of him above the fucking fireplace. You know, he was that kind of godlike status. Um, and thankfully, I think he showed me what the real pinnacle of that sort of style of stuff was. Um, and therefore, later, when I, when I was able to make my own viewing choices, you know, um, thankfully kind of went down the route of, I wanted someone who was going to 
make me laugh but make me think as well you know um so it's it's just weird talking to someone of a different generation about that sort of journey into comedy but anyway back to the subject sorry i went a bit waffly there um in terms of um you said you, you don't think you'd be in comedy if if you you didn't have mental health issues do you think then because there, there's this perception it's been portrayed a lot in the media and all that kind of the tears of a clown thing about comedy that that you know most most comedians have some sort of mental health history or mental health issues do you think that's actually true when you look at the people you know on the circuit or the people you know of on the circuit do you think that most comedians have some kind of different uh, mental health makeup to the you know the civilians the uh, the muggles as we might call them that don't do comedy uh, i think it's a very <clears throat> it's a very um, common theme uh, it happens a lot like with most comedians, there are exceptions to it, obviously. Um, mm. But um, for the most part, yeah, uh, I think a lot of comedians uh, are kind of fucked up in a way because it's a very kind of no bullshit profession. Like, and the way we all speak to each other, it's like if someone's doing something that's like, you know, real life bullshit, like, you know, that's just harsh shit, like comedians kind of see through all that shit and they don't understand, they understand why it is. But they kind of, they're like, ah, that's fucking bollocks. Like, I don't, we don't have to do that. We don't have to act that way. Mm. Like, we don't have to conform to that. Um, it's definitely an industry where people are more more open about those issues as well, I think, in just that because we're open about everything. Most comedians are happy to talk about pretty much anything if it gets a reaction, if it gets a laugh or whatever. And so I think, you know, we're less... Um, kind of we shy away from talking about it much less than people outside the industry i think do i know and again that's a generalization but you know the fact that that i've, I've heard you talk i've talked about the side effects of pills and you know the the the, the, the antidepressants or whatever on stage and i know you you've talked to me about these pills are stopping my dick from working kind of thing and stuff like that and you wouldn't get those conversations i genuinely don't think most people outside of our sphere of of kind of comedy would generally have those kind of conversations as i mean that was i think that was your starter for a conversation you didn't even build up to it you know and it's like it kind of takes you it would take you back if you weren't used to that that way of talking to people so yeah a normal person would have to like go to the pub and kind of build up to that yeah yeah and you could just go <laughs> lads my dick's not working because of the pills just do, you know want grass on them like <laughs> fucking go to a stranger and be like Oh yeah, mate. Venlafax scene, like fucking. I can't come. It's ridiculous. Like, in <laughs> ages. Like, <laughs> I remember when I I did um, I started doing a, a little bit about um, antidepressants, and uh, I did it yeah. once. I think it's the second time or third time I did it was at a gig I was hosting um, in Huddersfield at the parish, and uh, uh, my my best mate, who isn't a comedian but has come to a lot of my gigs, was at the back of the room, and. Uh, and I've known him since I was 11, right? And he was coming out of the back of quite a heavy mental health crisis at the time. And uh, I remember saying, give us a cheer if you've ever taken antidepressants, which normally gets a weird sort of reaction. And he was at the back of the bar and he cheered louder than anyone else in the room. And I said to the audience, um, oh, that's my best mate. Um, I've just I've just brought him out tonight to make sure he doesn't top himself, basically. Uh, right? And uh, and the room where well, the reaction was like that, it was like oh, and he was pissing himself laughing. Um, 
And I said, it's, it's all right. When I take him home, I'll make sure we avoid any bridges like that. And it got another another groan. And I was like, <laughs> and it was that thing of, I. it was almost me having a matey conversation with him. But also, I was on stage with a room full of people. And uh, and thankfully, it got a laugh. It got a, one of those great laughs you sometimes get where there was a laugh and then there was a gasp and then there was another laugh. Yeah. Because in the middle, they kind of go, fuck, I can't believe he said that. But um, I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a mental health advocate. He runs a web, a mental health website. And I sent him a clip of it. And he said, it's great apart from the bit where you joke about him killing himself. Um, that's kind of, you know, that could that could really backfire. And it was a really serious point he was making. And I, kind of, and I was then torn between, like, the welfare side of it, saying, yeah, I totally get what you mean. Me and, me and my mate's relationship, which is, like, 30-odd years old, 30-odd uh, years plus best mate relationship, where I absolutely knew that he was fine with it and found it actually almost liberating to have that joke made. And then the comedian part of me where I was like, fuck it, got to laugh. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's 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 stuff like that, that. Do you think there's anything you can't joke about on stage? No, fuck off. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your answer, but I had to ask it. These fucking, these fucking queefs, right, who fucking come to a comedy show and they fucking go, oh, you can't say that. And it's like, mate, like, you don't understand it. Like, they're all fucking trying to be woke and shit. But comedy was woke, like, fucking 20 years before any of these fucking multicoloured aired gimps fucking <laughs> ever turned up. Before they all went to uni and studied feminism or whatever the fuck they do. Fucking these absolute fucking dorks, mate. Like, they don't know shit. And they fucking think... They don't understand the art of comedy. Like, you can fucking watch... You can watch Game of Thrones and there's fucking incest and there's fucking murder and there's fucking pedophilia and all sorts of shit right but no one goes up to an actor and goes oh mate you're a fucking you shagged your sister you prick like <laughs> why are you glorifying shagging your sister like fucking they can do what i'm glad you said that because i see i have this debate with people all the time and it's like i don't think there is any subject that you can't joke about on stage i think we all know there are ways of doing it that are kind of socially acceptable and ways of not doing it that aren't well, you can either be, I think the only issue is some people do it and it doesn't get a laugh. And that's the only concern it has for me. Like, if you do it and it doesn't get a laugh, that's fair enough. Like, I think, uh, yeah, I get what you mean with that. And I think the only thing for me is, and I think I've only seen it, I've only seen it happen once where you get someone who it feels like they are doing kind of controversial, controversial material that's quite cruel just to do controversial material that's quite cruel it's not for the it wasn't for them about the laugh or whatever you know um and that fucks me off because it's a waste of stage time if nothing else um yeah well you'll get like a chubby brown but like i'm not bothered about if like chubby brown like fucking like what he's talking about i'm bothered that he's an absolute fucking hack like that he's fucking a bad comedian like that's the only thing that bothers me about it like you know what i mean like if, as long yeah as i do like, you can get away with anything. Like, if you watch the Chappelle special or Bill Burr or if you listen to old, like, Opie and Anthony stuff, Patrice O'Neill, like, literally all the legends of comedy um, by, like, Jerry Seinfeld and stuff, like, they all fucking say the N-word and fucking do yeah. all sorts of shit. They say faggot and retard and yeah. you can do whatever you want, man. I think the fundamental thing is be good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. If you're yeah, good, well, you can get away with a lot more than if you're not. Yeah, um, and don't do jokes you've seen on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, wicked man. So listen, I've got. Um, I'm going to wrap it up uh, with one last question, um, which I, I think I already know the answer to. Wrap it but... up. Always stay safe. Always protect yourself. Yeah. Bag it up before you whack it up. That's it. Um, yeah. So, um, would you? And I, I, based on the conversation, I'm pretty certain I could put my mortgage on the answer for this one. But if you could um, be kind of have a lifelong from from today, the rest of your life, have zero mental health issues. You'd be totally balanced and and whatever mentally wise for the rest of your life, but you couldn't gig as a result. Would you take it? No, I'd be I'd be so I'd be so dull. I'd be so <laughs> dull and unhappy. Like <laughs> it just suck dick. Like if you if, you know when you fucking meet like an old person, like at the fucking because I used to be a cashier, right? <laughs> <laughs> You'll meet an old person. Like fucking Brenda from Dewsbury or whatever the fuck, like, and they'll come up and they'll, they'll just fucking just be the most boring motherfucker in the world. Like they'll just fucking, oh, I really like these biscuits. Like they're really nice. Oh, fucking wow, Brenda. Like twenty years on the planet, that's your best fucking material. Like, are you <laughs> like, like, oh, my grandson, he's lovely. He comes and visits me every day. He's on the fucking doll, Brenda. You know what I mean? Like their lives are just so fucking dull. But they're incredibly happy, and um, I would never want to be one of those fucking wastes of space. Like I'd rather be interesting and have a fun job and uh, do something. Like sure, there's a lot of downs, but um, you can't be interesting if you don't have if you don't take risks and have downfalls in your life. No, that's a great answer, man. So listen, thank you so much for being our first guest. Um and 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 uh, I really appreciate you coming on and just stay keep smashing it, man, because your stuff is brilliant. And uh, anyone who hasn't listened to your stuff, I'm going to put a, a few clips on at the end of this podcast, um, just so they can hear what you're all about. Um, so last question, actually, I, I know that the last the last one was meant to be the last one, but this is something I wanted to ask you actually. How you've got your uh, you've got your your big hit is a song called Hairy Vagina, yeah. and uh, it's I've I've seen I've been guilty of being the MC who demands you do it as your encore, <laughs> and I've seen the look of disdain and and kind of hate in your eyes when you when you think you got away without doing it. Has it become like your Wonderwall? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's like, like a millstone like, round your neck. I kind of. It's not that I fucking don't enjoy it. Like it's just when I do it because I've probably done it at most gigs like 90% of the gigs I've done, apart from like restaurant work and stuff. But even like then, like people would turn up and be like, oh mate, can you, like I'd be fucking singing Ed Sheeran and the Beatles and that. And they'd be like, can you come play Harry Vagina? And I'm like, no, I'm in a restaurant. I'm singing in a restaurant. That's not what I'm here for. Uh, <laughs> but fucking, yeah, it's kind of like, I enjoy it a lot, but um, it's very dependent on the crowd. So when I get like a new, like exciting room, I enjoy doing it. And it's still like, I think that shows that you're a good comic though, that your material's doing well when you're absolutely fucking murdering and you just like couldn't give a fuck and you're bored as fuck. Like that's mm. when you know your material's good. When you're bored but everyone else is absolutely fucking loving it. Wicked man. Well, it is a classic and uh, I think I'll put a clip of it at least on the end of this podcast. But thank you so much for coming on, Keith. And uh, I'll speak with you soon, buddy. You take care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, spread love, laughter, and spread your legs and uh, <laughs> death to the West.
Hi there, me again. So that was the first ever episode of Sparks of Madness with my good friend Keith. Um, just wanted to add something at this point. The uh, the gig I talked about in the episode where I, I uh, discussed mental health issues, uh, antidepressants, and spoke about my friend in the audience. Um, I have discussed that event with my friend several times since, and he's more than happy for it to be discussed on this podcast. He's very open about his issues. I'm glad to say he's managing his issues really, really well, and he has confirmed that he found the whole thing hilarious, especially the reaction of a few well-intentioned people who were very concerned that possibly I might have uh, abused our relationship somewhat, which I know definitely isn't the case. So uh, if you're listening, buddy, love you. Um, And uh, just to finish the episode now, as promised, here is uh, Keith Wilde's biggest hit, His Wonderwall. It's a song that I love and most most gig-goers love. It's called Hairy Vagina. Enjoy. I was chilling in my crib Texting a girl who was fine She said if you show me yours I'll show you mine I said okay baby And she came round But I felt nauseous When I went down She's got a hairy vagina And it's coming out the side She's got a hairy vagina And I don't know why I shouldn't be bothered, no I shouldn't really care But I'm quite worried That there's animals trapped in there She said, what's wrong, darling? I said, nothing, I just feel sick She said, are you okay, though? Do you still want to do it? I'm not superficial It's just that I was in shock I said Let's just cuddle Cos it might get tangled Round my car She's got a hairy Vagina And it's Coming out the side She's got a Hairy vagina I don't know where I know it was popular in 1972 but things have changed now and she's ginger too right, so here's what we're going to do right so we're going to split the room in half right so this side of the room you're going to sing bush bush bada papa right and this side of the room, you're going to sing ba ba pa da bush This competition, you've got to beat the other team. Are we all feeling ready? Yeah. We're all feeling motherfucking ready! Yeah. All right, one, two, three, four!
Madness is hosted by Graham Rayner and is a gag and bone band comedy production.